The gag reflex is actually pretty important. That's a way to start. I could imagine that the gag reflex is important. It's actually, you know, because like we do a lot of the things with the the opioids. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is like trying to reverse the opioid suppression while keeping a patient somewhat unconscious. Because once they become conscious, then they get like acute withdrawals Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so if you can try to keep them unconscious, it's a little safer for everybody while the opioid goes through its course. The problem is, is that you lose a lot of uh, those like innate airway defense mechanisms, like gagging, coughing, swallowing. You can't do that while you're under. Uh, right. Well, well, you're unconscious. Oh, I didn't know that. For the most part, you can to an extent, but you lose a lot of it, and so there's always a risk of aspiration, hmm. where you have like vomit and saliva and stuff go down your windpipe and then you get aspiration pneumonia and stuff like that that makes sense don't a lot of people overdose because they throw up and then keg on it uh well it happens during overdose well during an overdose but like that's the cause of death is yeah a blockage in their airway yeah wow wild huh pretty wild something i never really thought about rue don't lick my water bottle yeah rue's on the rue's on the prowl today he's on the hunt yeah i took him to the dog park yesterday it's been so hot yeah, it's impossible. It doesn't exactly get all of his energy out. No. Every time I try and walk off when it's this hot, he's got like 10 minutes tops. Yeah. And then he'll just sit down in a bush, under a bush where it's shady. And I'm like, all right, dude, let's go home. Yeah. And then he comes back and then he's just, he's ready to go. Wild. Wild. Anyways. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> That's how it goes. But yeah, I was, like I said, dude, my shoulder got realigned. New anatomical situation going on in there lots of pops lots of things i don't know did you lift this morning i lifted yeah upper body yeah i did some back stuff because i I, this is the weird thing and i don't know what it is evolutionarily that uh is part of it but you know when you get injured there's something that just makes you innately like want to test that muscle at all times yeah that's why my injuries last so long yeah like under like under normal conditions, if you pull a hammy or if you strain a bicep or you strain whatever muscle or something, like you would normally never just like walk around activating it, mm-hmm. seeing which positions. Like you'll you'll try to fold your arm in the weirdest positions possible, and you're like, oh, it still hurts. It's definitely injured. And you're like, yeah. when on earth would you have ever put your arm in that position while you're sitting on the couch and you've literally comored yourself like as far as it can go? But when you're injured, that's what you do. That's what you do. You always test it. So I actually, when I first hurt my left arm, like on the elbow and it's a UCL strain, I went to physical therapy for it and did a bunch of exercises and they did tell me that something that I can do is like I hold my arm at a 90 degree angle out in front of me and then I rotate my hands over. So like I'm, you know, holding something vertically with like a neutral grip Mm -hmm. and then pronate my wrist. Yeah. And... If I can see the top of my hand with no pain and both hands pronate to the same horizontal level and there's no pain in my elbow, that's when it's safe to work out. Uh, but I would notice that like while I was being injured, it was only like a week ago that I could do that. And you, but when you're sitting there, you'd like, you'd go way past it and just see like, hey, can I turn my arm all the way inside out? Yeah, but like elbows tucked and then just rotate to make sure that it's okay. But yeah, I was doing all sorts of weird <laughs> things like... To make sure, like, oh, there's still a little (laughs) bit of pain in my elbow. I can't train. I can't, you know, do any upper body stuff that involves my elbow like that. 
just the name of the game when you're injured. You just want to get back. Yeah. Maybe it's not even evolutionary. Maybe it's just us being Just being idiots. weird. Could be. Could be. I don't know. Could be an addiction to training. Who knows what it is? It's just how it goes. It's what the name of the game for, these days. That's what you get for rolling with people that are not safe to roll with. No. Safety is the number one priority. Safety is the number one priority. Speaking of jiu-jitsu and sports let's go through some lessons learned from i was going to say jiu-jitsu but jiu-jitsu and sports in general because i think it i think for some things it translates to other things i think there's there's certainly some specialized uh lessons that you learn from a combat sport whether it be boxing or jiu-jitsu or muay thai or whatever jeet kundo Whatever it may be. Whatever whatever it may be. There are some unique things that you learn from combat sports that you don't learn through other sports, but I think there's very valuable things that you learn through doing sports in general. I agree. I think that these are more applicable to martial arts or combat sports in general. Wrestling, boxing. I guess martial arts is a better way of Muay Thai, jiu-jitsu, whatever it may be. Karate, even. Because they're so technique-heavy. Mm. Where your technique is a thing that really carries you through. Like, you can have a shitty jumper, but if you're tall as fuck and you can just hustle, you can be a really good center. Oh. You can be a really, really good basketball player and you have no free throw, no jumper, no short range, mid range, long range. Doesn't matter. But if you can hustle down the court and you can yeah. just block shots and get rebounds and dish them out, it's true. You're going to be an amazing center. So the technique doesn't have to be there as long as you're athletic. And I think that in a lot of other sports, athleticism alone can carry you through where these lessons aren't nearly as applicable. Hmm. But when it comes to combat sports, I think that's fair. The technique is everything in a combat sport. Yeah. Well, either way, there's some good things to be learned. We have life lessons. And for you guys. Uh, even though we are still on the younger side, maybe, I don't know. I've been doing martial arts for half my life. So. Yeah. Like, I've been doing them since I was 14. Like, yeah, I've been well, doing... I'm a black belt. Like, I've done quite a few different things. Karate, boxing, wrestling, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, American kickboxing. Dabbled with some Sambo. Shorts and the G-top? Weird. It's weird. And wrestling it's weird. shoes? It's weird. But yeah. dabbled in a lot, and it's been 14 years since I started doing martial arts, and these things are applicable to all of them. So mm. we have life lessons. There's life lessons. Because honestly, like once you get to your 30s, you're kind of at your peak or past your peak for athletic sports and stuff. So these things will carry you through. These are the things that you learn early. These things will also carry you through in like not only whatever discipline you choose to train in. Mm. I think they're applicable to like business, relationships, work, just normal life in general. Regardless, the disclaimer is that it is a dynamic list it that is, is ever changing and ever adding to and ever subtracting. But if we take a snapshot right now, right now in time, yep, this is what we got. And I will say that uh, if you enjoy this, compliment Zach because it was his idea. If you don't like it, then criticize me because I choose what gets published. Also criticize me because I want to be better. Yeah. So true. let me know. I, I love <laughs> constructive criticism. If you just tell me I'm a fat ginger... I don't know what I'm going to do. Probably nothing because I really don't care. But <laughs> fat ginger. Yeah. Well, those things is true. They just don't know which. They just don't know which. 
Anyway, Zach put together a formal list. I'm going to feebly attempt to have my lack of preparedness serve as heartfelt, sporadic in the moment feelings. This is good. So this is good. You'll be fine. I, all of these things are applicable for sure. And you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about with all of these. Number one, kick us off. Kick us off. Zach, Zach actually put together a list, a formal list on this Apple lists. Is that what they call it? Notes. No, it's Apple notes. I don't ever use Apple notes. That's my problem. I have a lot of notes in my phone. Just random stuff. I still use pen and paper a lot. So God, you're so geriatric. I, yeah. In sports, I am becoming geriatric. There used to be a time where I woke up and I felt recovered and ready to go. Yeah, those days are long gone. <laughs> now I just wake up and I hurt. I just wake up and I hurt and I need at least 200 megs of caffeine. Yeah. Or else I'm not. And the worst person. part is the only thing that gets rid of it is actually going into the gym and moving. So like the thing that makes you hurt is the only thing that gets rid of the pain. Yeah. <laughs> Which it, sounds that, like a drug, but <laughs> pretty much. There's a fine line. Anyways, number one, showing up is the hardest part. I would agree. I would agree. I think when it came to when I was fat, when you were fat, when people people gave us criticism for saying it like that, but I don't know. It was fat. What do you want me to say? You were fat. That's what it was. Just own it. Yeah. Just own it. I don't know. I think that the problem with saying I was fat is that people... Yeah, they assume like it's not okay, but to me it wasn't. It wasn't okay, but also I think that people assume that when you say, oh, like, I'm fat or you're fat or anything like that, then it's a personal trait. It's a character flaw. It's whatever. But, like, realistically, we had excess fat on our bodies. That's it's also something that you have to deal with. So it kind of is part of your character trait. Yeah. I mean, it can make or break you, truly. Yeah. Like, look at how much our lives improved from losing weight versus... We could have had some serious health complications if we didn't make those changes. It's a completely different life. Mm -hmm. So I think it's fair to say. Anyway, showing up is 99.9% of the battle. Mm -hmm. Some people say that in jujitsu and in other martial arts, like the hardest belt to get is the white belt. Because you have to show up. Because you actually have to show up. <laughs> but that's all you have to do to get it. But that's all you have to do to get it. You show up on your first class, they give you a white belt. Well, you probably have to buy a gi, but yeah. you get a white belt. But that's literally it. You're just giving it. And, and same thing with going to the gym. Same thing with going to work out. Mm -hmm. You get that, like, the, the hardest part is, like, taking that first initial step when you've never done it before in front of people, as terrifying as it may sound. But then you realize, one, nobody cares. Nobody cares at all. L legitimately nobody cares mm. at all. It's like, it's like that first time that you take your shirt off at the beach. Or something like that. And you're very self-conscious and you're worried and everything like that. And then you realize nobody cares what you look like. No, not at all. You are the only one that cares. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of a freeing moment when you realize that. And doing something like jujitsu and just showing up being the hardest part or being at the gym or whatever it may be, like just showing up is the hardest part. And then once you get there and you get in the groove of things, you realize that, you know, it's just, it's not that bad. Yeah. And then you enjoy yourself at the end of it and you look back on that, you know, fondly. And then that motivates you to go back the next day. Well, when you first start jujitsu, let's be honest, might've been different for you. I know that my very first jujitsu class 10 years ago, I did not know it was possible to be that sore 
in so many places that I didn't know it was, could be sold. Yeah, it was weird. I think um, I had had an athletic background before mm-hmm. martial arts. I was a Division One skier and then competed in CrossFit, competed in powerlifting, and uh, I was a, a cyclist, relatively decently leveled competitive cyclist and uh, professional triathlete. And, uh, and so I had done marathons. I had done weightlifting competitions. I had done Ironman, you know, like I'd done ultra marathons. So I'd done a lot of endurance stuff and then I switched over and I had done a bunch of sport or a bunch of strength sports after that. I, I didn't do the endurance and the strength together, obviously. obviously. <laughs> there was different phases, but, but, um, and I thought, okay, like, we're just, we're going to try another sport. This one's something that seems interesting, something I kind of wanted to learn. It seems a little bit more, uh, heady as far as like, like it's cerebral sport. Yeah. It's a very cerebral intellectual sport. And, uh, so let's give it a try. And I remember I, talking about it in the gym actually before you started and you mentioning that you wanted to start. Yeah. We talked about it. I said, Hey, I, I found this gym or whatever I want to mm-hmm. start. And I actually plot the gym that I first was going to go to, which is right near here had an application process where you had to fill out this application and give like your life story thing or whatever. And red flag in a gym, a little bit of a red flag. And so I applied for it and I didn't hear back for months, mm-hmm. months. And, uh, and so in the interim, which like, I don't know, I luckily I have had background in joining different sports and stuff, you know? So I know that sometimes whatever things happen, you just got to do your thing. And, uh, you know, the thing that I, had an issue with there. I was like, if it's going to take you months to get back to the people that are applying to come do something that's very difficult to get your first step in the door, then mm-hmm. that's not a good business practice. Yeah. <laughs> like you should probably get back to your very poor people, practice. not only for business sake, but just for people's mentality, you know, cause it's like yeah. now you've given someone a chance to apply for coming to do something that is difficult and it takes courage to actually apply to do it. And then you You're don't respond. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. But anyways, uh, in the meantime, I had I went and I joined a different jujitsu gym, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go to this one then. It's not as close, but you know, at least I can go there. Yeah. And uh, and then I heard back a couple months later from that original gym that I applied to, and it said, "Welcome aboard to you." Knew, and I was like, "Dog, I got a blue belt now. <laughs> I'm not going." <laughs> <laughs> I got another gym. I'm not, You're I'm not, too late. Yeah, I'm literally not coming to this gym now. <laughs> Anyways, that was a while ago. But uh, what was I talking about? It's just showing up being the hardest part. Oh, just showing up being the hardest part. Oh, how, being sore after that first time. Oh, yeah, being sore after the first yeah. time. Yeah, and so we had, the, the, we had like an introductory type of course or whatever, and so we learned how to do basic movements, everything like that. Great, cool. And then I did my first open mat for jujitsu, which is like where you do controlled sparring with people where you have rounds and you just find a partner and you try to beat each other into the mat respectfully yeah. or disrespectfully. depends on, depends on who it is. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to like, it, it's a safe environment, but you also, it is a combat environment. So I've also went to open mats though and literally just spent an hour working like a single movement. Yeah. Like maybe there's a, uh, just something small, like a, I want to get a, like a scissor sweep variation into a head and arm triangle. 
I'm like, I know how to do it. I just want to drill it. So just drill it for like an hour, hour and a half. And that's it. No sparring, yeah. no rolling, no nothing. Just working that technique and finding people that are down to let me do it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a free environment. And I got home and whoa, I fell asleep on the couch. I fell asleep sitting up. Mm-hmm. I think I slept for like 14 hours that night. Yeah. I was dead. Very it's a different beast. Also covering. I can't remember. I came into the gym that next day and it looked like I had been beaten with a wooden stick and my, I was so bruised up. Oh dude, your legs were destroyed. <laughs> I remember that very clearly. We were all talking shit to you about your legs. We're like, dude, did you get like run over? Did by you have a disease? Did you, get, did you have leprosy all of a sudden? It was wild, but that's very common. Yeah. My shins are still bruised up all the time. I got my behind kicked royally. It's a beautiful thing. Ugh. It was humbling. But guess what? You want to keep showing up after that. Yeah, after that, it's it's sort of, it gets in your head and you're like, I thought I was fit. I thought I was strong. I thought I was, I, the weird thing is, is like, I thought I would be able to handle myself in a situation if it were to arise. That's the thing that's the most humbling yeah. to me is, is like, I thought as a 200, at that point, at that point, it was like, I thought as a 220 pound male powerlifting background like at that point i could deadlift you know six six ten i could squat 500 pounds bench pressing still i think 405 you were well 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 above average and into like yeah high elite athlete yeah categories of strength right like i could like i was doing that i was running marathons still it was like it i i thought okay we should be able in any situation to handle ourselves if any situation were to arise. Not that you would ever want it to, but there's something like when you're walking down the street, especially when you're walking downtown, you're like, you know, what's going to happen? I think the thing that people struggle to understand when it comes to that is you don't learn these things, learning how to fight. doesn't make you want to seek out a fight. It makes you feel safe when you are out and about or doing anything. You know that you can handle yourself, one, because you train and you know the techniques, but also too, if you're unfamiliar with a situation, it's going to cause all sorts of physiological issues. Like if you've never been in an altercation before, hmm. blood you're pressure, nervous. your heart rate, everything is going to spike. Scared. You're going to get an adrenaline dump. Your hands are going to be shaking. You're not going to think clearly, but you experience that every single day. Every day, yeah. Every so single just... day, day in and day out. You don't feel it. So you walk around safe, feeling safe, which frees your mind of any sort of worry when you're out and about you're not looking for a fight but you know that if something were to happen you'd probably be safe you'd probably make it and honestly you would realize or recognize whatever you want to say that like you don't need to you don't have anything to prove Hmm. and you're probably tired because you probably already fought that day yeah and you you know that it's not worth it so you can comfortably walk away and de-escalate the situation in an effective manner yeah. And you don't have to. So you just feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. That's it was, the best part of it. I, I realized that the first time also at at the weightlifting gym because it's just a feral place there. Oh, it's very feral. That we go to. We won't name the business, but it's a, it's a commercial gym that has a city that's also associated with it. Hashtag SoCal. SoCal. (laughs) You guys know. You all know. You figure it out. It's got fitness in the name, and it also is a city somewhere in California. But, uh, yeah, some some guy was just, like, throwing the weights all over the place. 
I don't care. If you got bumper plates or whatever and you got to drop the bar, whatever, I don't care. You're deadlifting or something and you have a couple hundred pounds in the bar, sometimes it's not easy to let it down slow. I get it. Fine. Yeah. But if you're taking those like pre-built dumbbells that are like in those ladders, mm-hmm. you know, and you're taking those and slamming them from above your head, like, hey, most of the equipment's already under repair as it is. So maybe don't do that. Yeah. Because then know? it affects all of us. Yeah. And I, so I walked with the guy and I said, hey, like. We got a lot of equipment that's broken right now. Would you mind just putting it back instead of throwing it? Because that's not what that's meant for. And he wanted to square up. And I was like, listen, man, I don't know you. You don't know me. We don't know what's going to happen here. We don't. Neither of us know what's going to happen here. Yeah. But let's just play this out. You know, I got a couple, I got probably 40, 50 pounds on you. You might be a kickboxer. That's fine. But like, you know, anyways, the point of the story is because that, that story was going nowhere is that <laughs> is that in awareness in previous situations, whenever that situation had arisen, my heart rate would start beating like boom, 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 boom. Like I was nervous. I was sweating. Mm-hmm. It was like because you don't know what's about. You to don't happen. know what's about to happen. Like fight or flight was kicking in. But in that mm-hmm. moment, it was like just felt like, I don't know. We're just having a conversation. We're just having a conversation. And if it goes to something physical, it goes to something physical. But like, I don't know. It was like totally calm. So anyways, that was a weird experience. Mm -hmm. But anyways, uh, going back to what you were talking, what were you talking about? I we should just go to the next one. We should just go to the next one. That's our. All right. Number two on the list. And keep in mind that these are not ordered based on any sort of level of importance to either of us. It was just how I compiled the list. What popped up in my head when I was thinking about it. So number two is that sometimes, I would say the majority of the time personally, but I think for everyone is different. Losing is the best teacher. Yeah. People have a huge fear of loss in their lives, I think. I think that people are scared to lose. People are scared to fail. And there's, I don't know exactly what the quote is, but you know. Something like the master has failed more times than the new student has ever tried. Yeah, I like that. Something along those lines, you know? I've heard that a million. It's, that's been used to the point where people think it's corny now, but that's still very important. It's lesson. true. It's yeah. true. Like, the person Babe Ruth has struck out more times than I've ever swung, swung a baseball bat. Yeah. And he's considered one of the greatest of all times. Kobe Bryant missed rest in peace kobe bryant missed more free throws than i've ever attempted in my entire life yeah and it's like that even if you're a you know a high school basketball player getting ready to go into college and you're looking for a scholarship whatever and you just pick the college whatever you committed these professional players have missed more shots than you've ever taken Mm. and it is the truth like when you're in jujitsu and you lose quote unquote uh, you get tapped out by somebody. Typically, every single time after you tap, there's a reason why you got caught in that position. Whether you made a simple mistake or they did something that you weren't aware was even possible. I got armbarred by a chin one time. By a what? A chin. Oh. I was like in bottom side control. My arm got extended. I was trying to fight. I thought you said a chimp. No. Well, kind of. Could you imagine? I would cry. He would probably rip, would my rip your arm off and run away and eat it. 
Yeah. Or beat me to death with it. But <laughs> like I got armbarred with a chin. And it was because I was focused so much on preventing this Americana on my right hand side. Mm. Sprawled across me in side control. And all he had to do was like pin my bicep with his shoulder. And then he was able to take his chin, hook my forearm like in between my wrist and my elbow. Like oh, right center of the forearm. And then he just arm locked. Drug his chin down. And I got arm burned. It was a good lesson though. Yeah. And uh, the majority of the things that I've learned in jujitsu have came from me quote-unquote losing or getting tapped out and then it leads to curiosity it leads to me being like well why did i you know what caused me to lose the position why did i get tapped out right there what happened like, i'm not sure what's going on yeah and then that provides a space for me to learn and grow within and it's the best teacher because if you're winning every single round you're not you're not progressing yeah i think same thing with same thing holds for weightlifting powerlifting and stuff too i think when when it was like at least for me when i was actively building up the weights for competing you failed a lot yeah. a lot a lot like you had to go to failure but you had to figure out where that failure was because if you're always just lifting within your means there's no reason for you to get stronger yeah there's no stimulus for it but no. if you're actually going up to failure whether that be in reps or whether that be in weight itself like then you actually have a stimulus for growth to occur physically yeah and i think that was <clears throat> that was something a little bit um what's the best way to put it i feel like like a lot of sports whether it be jujitsu whether it be weightlifting running whatever skiing biking name the sport i think there's a humbling aspect of it in a sense of like you learn how to deal with losing yeah. You know, I think it's more, I think it's better with, you know, the quote ball sports or something growing up, whether it be like football, basketball, baseball, team type of oriented sports, right? Because you're contributing to something and you, you lose and, you know, that everything you have to make yourself plus everyone else better. Not you personally, yeah. but everybody has to get better. And so it creates sort of a motivating type of environment. And same thing with, I think, with, martial arts or with jujitsu or something like that or even when i was doing a little bit of boxing like when you lose there's a sort of a a, a a realization that okay i was bested and there's something that i can learn from it and there's something that i can move forward from it mm -hmm. and it's it's humbling because sometimes you get beat by someone you would not expect to beat you no at all especially in jujitsu yeah like you're more physically intimidate or you're more physically imposing mm -hmm. And they tap you out. And sometimes sometimes you get treated like an absolute child as far as you feel you can't move. Yeah. Like they just, they are better than you. You yeah. cannot move. And <clears throat> learning to sort of appreciate that and learn what you can learn from them, I think, is important. But and, and where I'm going with this is that it can be humbling in the fact that you sort of just realize that there are bigger fish out there no matter what. Yeah. And everything. And I think with the endurance sports, there was a unique thing in that I don't feel like that was the case. And I don't know why. And I think part of it is like when you lose, there's a lot of things that go into it. And like, yeah, you have to be faster and things like that. But you spend a lot of time in the sport by yourself. So you don't know why you lost necessarily. Yeah. Like, you know, you need to go faster. But 
there's so many factors that go into that. Yeah. It can be your wax. If you're skiing, it can be the conditions. It can be your shoes. It can be your equipment. It can be a million different things outside of your control. And I guess some of that turns over to team sports too. Like sometimes you can lose and it's not your fault, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. With endurance sports, I didn't feel the humbleness yeah. that I did with when someone just beats you. It, yeah, literally. It's a different thing. Beat you. <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different thing. <laughs> they literally kick your ass. <laughs> and sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I don't know. I think, though, it can go the other way, though, too, sometimes with the with the combat sports or with jiu-jitsu or, where sometimes you might get an inflated ego when you're walking around the streets and you're mm-hmm. like big man on campus because i know how to because i learned how to heel hook someone on a thursday yeah you know you're like eh calm down there scooter that's more of a personal thing i think just because you know how to do that doesn't make you king of the mountain you know no so because a person you think you could do it to might also train (laughs) and they might be way better at defending heel hooks (laughs) and when you go for your heel hook they're gonna roll out of it yeah and they're gonna heel hook the shit out of you yeah, so maybe it's just a. That's I think that's just a gym culture thing. I think it's a gym culture thing. Sometimes you walk into gyms if you train at multiple if you if you have experienced training at multiple gyms with especially with jujitsu. I think. I think if you're a big man on campus, there's a sense of ego mm-hmm. that fits in, and it's sort of big fish in a little pond yeah. syndrome. And then when you finally go to another one, different gym or something like that, that has more bigger guys, high level people, whatever, then it suddenly can humble you very fast. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that this one goes into number three. Perfect segue into it. What's what's three? Strive to be 1% better every day. Mm. Incremental progress. 10% better every day. You can do ten percent. You can do a hundred percent. Exponential growth. Like you need some of that special juice. If you know what we're talking about, trend baloney sandwiches. Trend baloney. I was talking to someone this morning about peptides. Mm-hmm. Remember when the, those were? Are those still hot now? I don't remember. I don't know, dude. I don't keep up. Yeah. Anyways, SARMs. We live that natty life. Selective androgen receptor modulators. Oh yeah. SARMs. Yeah. Teach their own. It's unregulated wild west out there with supplements. Anyways, strive to be 1% better. Every single day. Every day. Because if you look at the challenge of like, I need to be a black belt. It takes a long time to get a black belt. I think the average is like 8 to 12 years to get a black belt. You don't do that overnight. It takes takes about 5 to get a PhD. Yeah. Just to put in, well... Takes five graduate study, but you also need undergraduate, which is like four years. Yeah, but you can knock out so eight to nine years average. You can do it in seven if you do running start in high school. Yeah. Graduate high school with an associate's bachelor's at twenty. Yeah. You could have a PhD by twenty five. Yeah. But regardless of that, it can take you twelve years. It can take longer than that. Some people get stuck at brown belt for like eight years. Mm-hmm. But on average eight to 12 years it takes longer to get a black belt in jujitsu than it does to get a phd on average it's true same thing you basically have phd in killing pretty much yeah but the which also i think is probably a similar thing is that when you get your phd 
Like, yeah, you've learned a lot, but that's when it just begins because now you start doing your research. So now you have all of these things that you're learning yeah. with your background. When you get a black belt, it's the same thing. Like, yeah, you learn the foundational stuff, but when you get to your black belt, that's not the end of the journey. That's kind of the beginning of it. I always thought when, when I got my PhD that the second year of my PhD studies, it took me four years to get my PhD. Mm-hmm. One day shy of, of five, or excuse me, one day short, one day short, hang on, one day shy of four years. Okay. So I did it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I always said like that the end of the second year of my PhD program is when I felt that I was the smartest that I've ever been. Yeah. And it's just nothing. And it's just gone. It's just gone down since then. Yeah. And it's not because I'm learning less information. I'm learning more information. It's just like every new piece of information I learn now is... I realize how much I still don't know. Yeah. Which is a you nice know, thing. Like at the second year of the PhD was that sort of that blissful, beautiful combination of ignorance yet information. Because mm-hmm. at that point, you still don't know a lot about what you don't know yet. If that makes sense? Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You haven't opened up that door of, of complete skepticism yet. But you've acquired a substantial amount of book knowledge because that's when you're at the peak of your courses and everything like that. And so, you know, all these little facts and details and intricate inner workings of things. And so you sort of have this idea where you feel like, you know, everything like, Oh my God, I know. And and you can answer most questions that people can throw at you, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know so many facts at that point. And then as you go on and you sort of enter into the creative research realm because after that, you do your qualifiers, and then you move on into research. Because so usually most PhD uh, trainings go for like two years of coursework, and then you do your qualifying exams. If you pass your qualifying exams, then you go into primarily research-focused uh, for the next two years and publish your research, and then you're done. Yeah. Or however long it takes. It can take anywhere from two to five years after that. So some people could be there for seven years, you know. Just depends on how long it takes you to get your papers published. But but once you move into that realm, now you start to realize that all of these facts are just based on sort of generalized thoughts that have accumulated evidence behind them that may or may not kind of support what, you're, what you believe is true. Mm-hmm. And so you start to learn that with every law or with everything comes these caveats. Like, but there's a huge amount of variance that goes into that. So like, you may think that if X, then Y, but it's only if X, then Y under condition Z. Yeah. And then you're like, ah, this just became infinitely more complicated. (laughs) And so anyways, I like to say that I was the the smartest ever been second year PhD and it's just gone downhill. I think that's probably similar to when people get a purple belt and they feel like they're just, (laughs) they know everything. Because if you're a purple belt, you can murder like 99 percent of people yeah if you're I, I like to think that you could handle yourselves in pretty much any situation yeah pretty much any single situation Given that it doesn't have a belt, gun or a knife you're working them yeah but you're still getting smashed by brown belts and black belts and then you go through all of that stuff you get your brown belt and you're like damn i was kind of an idiot as a purple belt like my whatever really sucked like i wasn't able to finish this yeah. move or this mover my like top position here was shitty you're always then, as smart as you think you're ever going to be. Yep. And then you get to black belt and it's the same kind of thing. Like 
X, Y under condition Z, but then you get your black belt and you have to think about all these other conditions of where it's suddenly not applicable Mm -hmm. and you have to fix those. So that's when the learning begins, but you don't get to a black belt overnight. You don't get to that level overnight. You get to that level by making incremental progress and a lot of mistakes and a lot of mistakes and a lot of showing up and you make your way through 1% at a time. And if you're just a little bit better than you were yesterday, it could be a minute adjustment for like a sweep. Maybe you're, arm is in the wrong spot maybe you're grabbing the gi in the wrong place or maybe if you're doing no gear you know like grabbing the wrist too low you need to grab higher something whatever it may be yeah you just make those minor little adjustments you get one percent better and you're good to go until you get injured until you get injured and then you have to take seven weeks off number four preventative work is much better than fixing a broken situation it's true we've all been there if you train, you've been there. Tap before you get your shoulder rearranged like I did. Tap before you get it. When you are stuck in a rear naked choke, that is deep. What is the best way out? Your best way out is to tap on your partner or the mat. Or don't get there. Approximately three times to get out of the choke. <laughs> or the best option that you can do is not find yourself in a rear naked choke. Yeah. Preventative work is always better than fixing broken situations. This is applicable to, to medicine to health to work relationships don't wait until you have heart disease to have a healthy heart don't wait until your relationship is in shambles to say like hey maybe we should have communicated better about this issue and don't wait until everything is fucked at work and it's too far don't wait until you're morbidly obese to realize that you should go on a diet yes Preventative work is much better than fixing broken situations i think that that's all you can say about that it shouldn't take the a diagnosis of of diabetes to know that you should fix your lifestyle yes it shouldn't take you being winded walking up a flight of stairs to, to know that you need to work cardio what's that to realize you need to work cardio yeah to realize that you should probably work on your physical conditioning like it shouldn't take that no it shouldn't it's also a lot easier to do preventative work think about your car your car needs regular oil changes and whatnot. Yeah. You can either get an oil change and spend $60 two to four times a year, or you can let your car go for three years without an oil change and then spend 10 grand to get the whole thing rebuilt. That's preventative work is always better than fixing the broken situation. Number five, number five kind of ties in with number one, but I think that this is a great life lesson taking a leap of faith this is applicable to showing up for your first class you have an interest in it you know that you want to change something you know that you want to do something different maybe you just want a hobby maybe you want a community maybe you watched charles Oliveira doing work in the ufc and you're like damn his jujitsu is fresh as hell i want to learn that so then you take up jujitsu whatever it may be you're going to take a leap of faith to go and sign up for a gym yeah actual training sometimes you got to take a leap of faith sometimes you've been drilling a move for weeks on end being comfy is easy being comfortable is very easy that's the problem there's a saying in the marine corps it's probably in other military branches and everything else but complacency kills yeah as soon as you get complacent you die if we're clearing rooms and whoever first man in the door if he doesn't check the proper corners or he gets used to not checking them because he's like oh my number two guy is gonna check that corner Mm. i don't need to 
Suddenly, he has a different number two guy. He walks in. He turns left. Doesn't bother to look right or scan anywhere in the room. Immediately looks left. He gets smoke checked. Pop, pop. And then somebody's writing a letter to his family. Yeah. And putting a flag over that. That's not okay. Complacency kills. In everything. Take. I mean, especially that. Yeah, especially that. That is the hard part. The hard part, I think, is that mm, this is what I've noticed personally. Not that I ever try to make these episodes about personal things, but make it personal. Make it personal. Let's hear it. Is is that no? Is that uh, whenever you try to do something new, I like to do different things. Right. I, I, I like to feel like I have a relatively diverse background. Yeah. I was in farming, went to diesel mechanic, went to was a bicycle mechanic, was a skier, was a fat guy, was a runner, triathlete, powerlifter, CrossFit person, owned a gym, went to graduate school, got a PhD. You've done a lot. Got two, did research, done jujitsu. Like, I like to think, I like to try to expand my horizons into different things because I think you're like when you get to a certain point where learning something isn't always as fun anymore. And maybe you should push through that and even learn some more. But I like learning a diverse, a diverse field of, of different things. Yeah. Cause you start to learn how different things connect and, you know, there's, there's, there's commonalities across everything. And I think like, if you have a broad understanding of many different fields, many different interests, many different things, like you just have sort of a better holistic view of everything. That's just my opinion. Um, it's and, very, yeah, it's very, very solid opinion though. Yeah, whatever. And, and so like, that's, that's sort of my thing. But I, well, with that comes like, you always have to try something new and you always have to take some risks somewhere, especially if it's for, for career wise or something like that right Mm -hmm. but every time you start something new you find out very quickly like you there's a lot of resistance from the people that know you as who you are already Mm. does that make sense dude i deal with this a lot we've talked about that we've talked about it for for weight loss is like a quick way to lose a lot of your friends is to lose a lot of weight Mm -hmm. because they know you as the fat guy as the fun fat person and then suddenly you're into fitness and you're into things like that. And even though it's better for you in the long run, you're going to get pushed aside as, you know, you're not part of the group anymore or whatever. And you have to make a choice of like, do I want to stay where I'm at, be comfortable for the sake of other people's opinions? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to actually better myself? Yes. And along that is going to be having to cut loose ends. You have to cut loose ends. Because I think when people see you growing in that kind of way, it makes them insecure about their lack of growth. Right. So, like, you, the people that are supportive, I had plenty of supportive people when I was losing weight. People that would hype me up, people that would tell me that I was motivating them. Like, yeah. you're already in shape, dude. You have, like, okay, you have visible abs. Like, I still can't see my dick when I look straight down <laughs> because my stomach is so big. Like, how am I motivating you? But it's because it's like, damn, like, if you can do this, then I can do it. But there's other people that are like, yeah, oh, you're putting way too much into this or whatever. And it's just because they don't want to make the change themselves. And that's fine. But if they're not going to be supportive of you trying to grow and better yourself, then you don't need at the table. I mean, it's I've learned now that it's a good thing to find that out. 
yeah. because then you don't need that anyways. Like yeah. you don't need that in your life. No. But it's just, I don't know. It's very weird. And, and you see it, same thing for research and things like that, where you see like you want to try a new idea because you think it's important, you think it's good, and then you get all the pushback and stuff because it's different and they didn't think about it. Yeah. You know, and they're like, why would you do that? It's, it's more about them feeling self-conscious that they didn't come up with it. Yep. Then it is more about you coming up with something cool. But I think the quicker that you can cut that out, because just as much as there is that, there's the subgroup of, of individuals that are going to be excited for the new things that you're doing. Yeah. Excited for seeing you strive in new opportunities. And those are the people that get happy about, about seeing you do things that are good for you. Yeah. And part of that is about finding the right group and mentors that are, you know, especially in a professional setting, finding the right mentors that are able to steer you in the right direction without, it's a weird fine balance. Yeah. Right. They need to be able to steer you away from doing something bad. Yeah. <laughs> like have that foresight of like, you need enough freedom to be able to explore your interests and to self better yourself or better yourself or whatever. Yeah. But there are certain endeavors where it's like, maybe that's not the greatest opportunity. Like if you're a really bad musician and you want to be, you know, and you want to, <clears throat> how do I word this? If you're a really bad musician and you want to be a musician and that's what makes you happy, by all means, do it. Go for it. But maybe don't quit your day job to do it. But, but if what you value is having a house and having a comfortable living, if you value the living that you have right now, Mm-hmm. and you don't want to give that up, but you also want to chase your dreams, you should keep that in mind. Yeah. I think that's a way to approach the mentoring to say, hey, listen, maybe based on my opinion, there's going to be sacrifices that are going to be made into the things that you value by taking a leap here. Yeah. Right? Keep it in mind. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, but it just means that there's repercussions. Yeah. Right. So I think like there's a good way and a bad way because you do need someone who checks and balances or you need something to say whether or not it's actually fruitful to take the leap or not. But that being said, there's going to be a resistance and it's going to happen every single time. Every single leap of faith. And it's very weird. And it's usually the people that you least expect to be the supportive ones Mm -hmm. that are the supportive ones. Yep. And the ones that you expect to be there with you through anything are going to be the ones that try to hold you back the most but don't let the people trying to hold you back prevent you from taking a leap of faith yeah with whatever it is and like even right now yeah to get personal like trying to find a new job like i got laid off i don't even want to be in the same career field so i'm trying to find a new job i know that i've worked my way up in my previous career i don't want to do that i'm kind of going to have to start fresh And there's been certain people that have said things like, you know, like, oh, you're going to have to, like, go back, whatever. Maybe you should just keep pushing away at what you were doing previously. And, like, that's, no. Like, other people will be very supportive of, you know, trying to switch with that. Um, But there's just no, there's no place for it. If people are being negative about you or speaking negatively towards you because you're taking a leap of faith and trying to make change, that's actually a good sign. Because it means you're doing something right. I agree. If you were like suddenly hooked on heroin and people are like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. Like you don't grow by doing heroin. (laughs) But if you're doing something that does benefit you and is a positive change and people are still shit talking you for trying to make that change, 
then it's their problem not yours that's their problem not yours and you just need to learn that it's okay and that the best thing that you can do is to take that leap of faith and when they're (laughs) yelling at you when you're on the edge take the leap of faith anyways i had one of my scientific advisors and uh it was pretty funny because it was somewhat out of character and they said and they said um you know that you're doing impactful work when you start to get haters (laughs) It's true. <laughs> it's just like it was totally out of character. Because mm-hmm. I don't even know if they knew what the word haters meant, but they probably saw it somewhere on. But Yahoo. it was like if you're not creating a, a stir somewhere, you're probably not doing something that's really all that impactful. Yeah. To begin with. So, anyways, I don't know. I guess what that means is that the podcast must be impactful because start a podcast, you'll get some opinions. You'll get a lot of opinions. You'll get a lot of opinions. <laughs> Dude, this is literally just fun, too. It's literally fun, and it's it's good to be able to have some public form of speaking. Yeah, and just to have these conversations. Like, when would we have ever sat down and really thought about jujitsu life lessons? Yeah, I think maybe it's because of the mixture of episodes, you know? We have, like, like interviews with scientists, and then we have, like, jujitsu. Well, you have the interviews with scientists. I have nothing to contribute (laughs) to that conversation. But, you know. Maybe one day. We just pick the content, so. Number six. Ooh, flying through. Flying through. Chaining small opportunities leads to great successes. Isn't that 1% better? Um, I look at it differently. Oh, okay. Explain. I look at it differently. Do you explain. So, like, I mean, in the same sense, it is similar. Yes. You don't get a black belt overnight. You don't climb a flight of stairs all at once. You do it one step at a time. But chaining small opportunities together to lead to a great success, you don't start a roll hmm. and do a little slap and bump and they're tapping. Maybe, maybe if your training partner is dangerous or maybe if you're dangerous, then they're going to tap immediately. Oh, they don't go I see. That. But this is more of an acute setting. Yes. Yeah, you I have to chain that. small opportunities. If yeah. you see their balance is off somewhere, you can capitalize on their lack of balance in that position. If their arm is stuck out you can get a hold of the wrist if they don't defend properly you took the Mm. opportunity of grabbing the wrist and then they don't defend so you take the opportunity to weave somewhere and then they don't do this so you take an opportunity to do this and then eventually those tiny little opportunities those little doors that have been open along the way will lead to you getting the tap that was one of the most influential things i think that helped at least with my my own personal jujitsu game is that someone had told me like you don't go from being in a very compromised position mm-hmm. to submitting your opponent in one fail swoop. No. Like it, it, there are rare situations where you can get a cheeky little tap or something, but you're not going to go from getting smashed in bottom mount with someone mounting you yep. in a high mount situation with your arms up above, your shoulders disengaged, mm-hmm. and they got like a grapevine in your legs. Yeah. You're not going to go from that to submitting the person. No. In one move. Mm-mm. It's not going to happen. It's you, almost You impossible. messed up many steps along the way, and you're going to have to reverse it many steps to get out of it. Yep. And I think that's something that if there's one thing that you can change, it's probably a good thing. It's probably yeah. a good one. And like, if you make that change, you find that opportunity and you capitalize on that opportunity and take advantage of it, yeah, you're going to see another opportunity like no matter how small you're, you're it is. You're more likely to get out of that 
mm-hmm. by getting your elbows back, yep. getting your shoulders in line, yep. getting some strength to your upper body back, getting the grapevine out so you have your hips back under you, yep. getting the person back down from high mount, getting your hips out. Like you're way better off. And the likelihood of you getting out of that situation is so much higher when you do that versus when you just try to spaz your way out. Yeah. You're like, I'm just going to explode and see what happens. Yeah. Well, you know what's going to happen is you're going to be in the exact same position, but now you're going to be tired. And then you're going to get fucking worked. Yeah. (laughs) So this is kind of the same thing as strive to be 1% better every day, but this is on a smaller scale. It's more nuanced because you need those small opportunities to actually make it anywhere Mm. and you need to be open to those small opportunities once again applicable to work it's applicable to life if you're never looking for opportunities you're never going to find them if you're always looking for opportunities you're going to find them and if you can capitalize on those opportunities well that's a good one that will lead you to a much better place that's a good one opportunities you have a growth mindset or something like that growth mindset (laughs) i'm a uh what do they call themselves biohackers i'm a growth biohacker uh, I use it's so cliche, but lion's mane to <laughs> lion's mane, horny goat weed, horny goat, whatever the hell it is. That's not the purpose of this. I started taking uh horny goat weed. No, <laughs> I don't even know what it does. I don't either. Uh, and I've worked with goats. Um, I started taking the uh, speaking of horny goat weed, Zach's coughing it up. Um, we're gonna cut that out. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I started taking those like athletic greens. AG1? Well, I take off brand, not off brand. I take the All Max Cyto, Cyto Greens. Mm-hmm. All, All Max is a decent nutrition company. Like mm-hmm. they have good protein powders and stuff. Yeah. Whatever. Everyone just knows the name Cyto, or Athletic Greens. So it's their version of greens. It's like the same thing. It's, it's same literally, stuff. it's all the same stuff or whatever. Um, first of all, that stuff tastes nasty. It's not very good. That is disgusting. It's like you're literally just drinking pond scum. It's it looks like, like pond micro- scum. Too. It's like micro crystallized pond scum. Yeah. And the weird thing is, it's like if you go and you just grab a bunch of algae out of the water and you start eating it, you're going to look like a murderer. Oh, yeah. You're going to look like a psychopath. It's, it's no different than like if you're, if you're in the pool and you're peeing, it's fine. No one thinks twice about it. But if you get out of the pool and you, you pee, pee into the pool, <laughs> you're a weirdo. You're a the psychopath. Out, the, the outcome is the same. Yeah. Anyways, There's if you go and eat algae, you're a psychopath. If you take these athletic greens or these cytogreens or any of these green supplements, it's totally normal. It tastes like ass. Mm-hmm. It's bad. I don't know. I, I I do feel like the problem is, is every time I try to take something, I get like eight different things and I'm like, I'm going to take them all. So I have no idea which one is actually working. No. Like I took, I started taking that and an NO booster because I saw someone that was real veiny at the gym and I was like, I want to pop my veins out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some amino acids at the same time. And so taking all three together, you feel great. Yeah. You sleep better. You, you recover better. Vascular? You got a good pump. Like it's, it's great. Cause I got them at grocery bargain outlet. <laughs> normally i don't i don't take any supplements but but they were on sale it was a good price it was like "Ah, all right because i've taken a ton of supplements i just don't on the regular take a lot of them yeah i take greens pretty regularly i have like athletic greens and then i also have some of jocko's greens basic yeah basic which is crazy i got made fun of for taking (laughs) yeah like ag1 athletic greens Uh uh-huh like oh you're such an influencer 
And I was like, what do you mean? Like such an influencer. Like, what are you talking about? And they're like, all the Instagram influencers yeah. are, uh, what sponsored by, if AG1? they want to sponsor this podcast, then I will tout the benefits, <laughs> tout the benefits, dude. But no, like I didn't always even, look for opportunity, always look for an opportunity See? and chain them together to a, a great success. <laughs> I didn't even know the influencers did AG. Like I don't follow influencers on Instagram. Yeah. At all. So I had no idea. I was just looking for a green supplement because like I have gut issues and I was trying to find a way to fix them. Yeah, if it works, it works. Them. It helps quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. It helps quite a bit. But to say all of this, we're not talking about like growth hacking or some like weird, super motivational thing. Like just look for opportunities and capitalize on the opportunities and beyond athletic greens, beyond athletic greens. Yeah. But AG1, but if you want a green, you know how to get a hold of us. Cytogreens. Saturday greens are pretty good. I think we have a better chance with all Mac sponsoring us than oh, yeah. athletic green sponsoring yeah. us, but baby steps, small opportunities, yeah. <laughs> maybe either one I'm open. We will do a taste test and we will do a performance evaluation of both of them. If the opportunity arises, so dude, Lake Washington could sponsor us and I will eat Lake Washington algae on the podcast. Dude, I was sponsor. looking at the ingredients. I was like, this is algae. A lot of it is, algae. this is primarily algae. Yeah. And some other like things that grow on the ground, but this is primarily weeds. Like, that grow on the ground mm-hmm. and algae. Yeah. Just dehydrated and ground up. So it is an efficient way to get your vitamins and minerals though. Maybe. I, I mean, if yeah. what they say on the packaging is true, say, it's yeah. pretty efficient it's in an unregulated form. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's crazy. But anyways, uh, I, and I, I stopped taking an NO booster a while ago because when you deadlift, like your, your blood pressure gets really high, mm-hmm. really high. And so like 300 over 150, like really high. That. And uh, w- when you add the vasodilation, it, it certainly brings the pressure down a little bit because if you think about like a closed vessel, if you have the same amount of fluid and you dilate the vessel, then the pressure goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the vasodilation plus the high blood pressure with the, with the lifting, um, I kept getting like nosebleeds during deadlifts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I kept popping a bunch of blood vessels. So yeah, I stopped doing that. So. Probably for the best. Yeah. But now that I'm not lifting as heavy as much and doing a bit more dynamic movements through jujitsu and things like that, then I thought, yeah, we'll give it a shot. Might not be a bad time to start again. Yeah. Until my arms are like just too pumped. You're, you get like mountain, you know, like uh, rock climber wrists. <sighs> Dude, I don't miss those days. You know, ever, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where you're yeah, rock I climbed climbing. a lot when I first got over here. Like I climbed you'll a lot. Never, I was climbing five, six days a week. You'll never feel a forearm pump more intense than rock climbing. It is a beautiful thing, though. I should start rock climbing because I'm trying to build incredible. my forearms up. But I'm trying to do it without an ego. Yeah. <laughs> Number eight, seven, seven. Learn to count. You have a PhD, sir. Uh, don't, don't let your ego get in the way of growth, growth hacking, growth hacking. Uh, well, I talked about this, I think with, um, I talked about this a little bit with the jujitsu thing. It can go both ways. I think you can get a false sense of inflated ego mm-hmm. that just because you can physically dominate someone means that you should be better than them in all aspects of life. It's not the case, but it's not the case. I think there's like, I think that's where having a wide range of experiences comes in. Mm-hmm. You can realize that, yeah, if a physical situation were to arise, that yes, you can physically best someone. Great. And there's just some, there is some sort of primal 
sense of confidence that that translates to. And I will not discredit that. It gives you an overall boost in your confidence. I agree. With That translates into all things. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. But. How often do you get into a fight with somebody random? Exactly. Almost Probably never. never. Probably never. Hopefully never. I think most people I know have never been in a physical altercation outside of like middle school. High yeah. School. Yeah. And so like there is translation of the confidence into like giving presentations and things like that Mm -hmm. where you get a boost of confidence that you've never had before. And it's one of the things that with a lot of martial arts, like it's just a known thing that for some reason eliciting that primal activity of, of combat and, and being able to physically win or something like that boosts confidence and testosterone and whatever. See, I have a different opinion on it. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, anyways, I, let me finish mine first, yeah, and then, no, then you I'll give I'll your quote. Well, I was saying that I think there is a translation. However, I think it needs to be somewhat sucked back in and be like, just because you can beat someone on the mats doesn't make you a better scientist, doesn't make you a better husband, friend. doesn't make you a better friend, doesn't make you a smarter investor. Like, you need to, you need to contextualize that confidence mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. Overall, carry yourself with more confidence. Great. Yeah. But know when and when it's not applicable. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. Your turn. With that statement. My what's idea the, What's the alternative? Is that if you only look at learning a martial art as, you know, beating people up, that's when it inflates your ego. That's when you get a huge ego is because you think, yeah, I can beat people up. The true confidence comes from the fact that you're... consistently overcoming adversity and you're doing a lot of really hard things and you're struggling and you're learning and that teaches you a lot about yourself because you're overcoming adversity so the confidence comes from overcoming that adversity Mm. not because you can suddenly beat somebody up if you get confidence from being able to beat people up that is your ego being inflated that's fair now with not letting ego getting in the way of growth I'm sure that everybody that trains has experienced somebody who rolls with an ego almost, well, not even almost every single gym I've ever been to (laughs) every single gym I've been to roll for these rules, you know, and they always say, check your ego at the door. Yeah. Very common. Like don't bring an ego to the mats and you'll see people that roll with an ego. All they do is hurt their training partners. They never actually get better because they just rip their way through situations. So that way they can win and they're not progressing as a jujitsu athlete practitioner whatever you want to call them Hmm. they're not progressing because they're letting their ego get in the way and that is also applicable at work if you're working and you're collaborating with other people or some sort of cross-functional team like maybe you work in operations and you're working with engineers and the engineers tell you like oh we need to build this for you guys whatever and you're like well that's not how ops works so we're going to do it this way or like for me building features and being like hey i know that you guys are doing different things on ops but I can't build a feature that works for all of those things. Like that would be multiple features that don't actually align with each other. But if they're going to let their ego get in the way and say like, no, we can't do it anyway. It's got to be my way or no way. Like that's, that's having an ego in it. And you let that ego get in the way of actually progressing. And it doesn't benefit anything. Anyone. No. Yeah. It just gets in the way. Yeah. And it will prevent you from growing. If you have a personal ego and you want to grow in some way in your life, and you have an ego and think that you're the best there has ever been at that thing, you're never going to grow. You're never going to get better. Your shit don't stink. Yeah. 
don't let your ego get in the way of you potentially growing, whether it's in jujitsu or your personal life. Don't be a big fish in a little pond. Don't do it. Don't do it. Grow to be a big fish in a little pond and then get into a different pond. Yeah, get into a bigger pond with bigger fish. Get into fish, a bigger pond with bigger fish. Then and then rise to the occasion. Up. Yeah, then you're going to grow even more. Crazy concept. I do I do like the um, what Jordan Peterson has to say about, about having the capacity for violence, but being able to control it. Yeah, I like, like that. Like the too. confidence comes not from knowing the situation, but mm-hmm. like the confidence comes from having the capacity for violence. Yeah. But being able to control it. Yeah. Which he says to, um, when he says like, um, you're not a good man if you're harmless because you're like, you're harmless. Yeah. Like if you can do harm, it doesn't take any effort to make yourself harmless if you are harmless. Yeah. Because you can't do anything. Right. But if you can inflict serious violence and you're able to control actively choose not to and you control it, like, yeah, that, that takes strength. That takes strength. That yeah. takes courage. That takes resiliency. That takes all sorts of different things. And I think that that is applicable in the Marine Corps, knowing when to shoot and when not to shoot. Yeah. Like, you can end somebody quickly, <laughs> but should you? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. It's applicable for a lot of things. It's applicable Jordan for Jordan Peterson also talks about lobsters constantly. He talks about what? Lobsters. Dude, the Those somatic gas... <laughs> <laughs> the stomatogastric ganglion is that what we learned from a lobster that's where we learned like the majority of how neurotransmitters work it's crazy dude lobsters are so important serotonin gaba glycine glutamate norepinephrine substance p all these neuro all these neuromodulators we learn from the lobster about how they interact in neural networks and they work the exact same in the lobster as they do in a human i am going to go on the record and say that we're a lot like lobsters. We're well. The thing is, is like people are like, well, it's you, you know, I hate using that, but, but sometimes you hear a criticism of Peterson's of saying that it's a lobster, it's not a human. How it works in the gut of a lobster is very much different than that of how it works in the brain, and it's like that's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point is that we learn how these things are released. We learn how neural networks interact. We learn which receptors are taking which neurotransmitters and which neuromodulators and how they can influence one another, which translates into how it works in the brain. And it just so happens that when it, when that orchestration of neuromodulation occurs in the brain, that it has a behavioral output. Okay. So. It's nuanced. Yeah. Damn lobsters. Eight. Number eight. Embrace change. I'm seeing a pattern. What is the pattern? Be open to change. Be open to change. Be adaptable. Adaptable. Adapt. Overcome. Improvise. Adapt. Improvise. Adapt. That's the quote. That's true. I think the. I think that's one of the things, especially to. Um, for hiring or something like that for understanding I think for predicting success at least in the sciences at least what I've heard many times from some of the most prolific scientists is that it's it's more about the people that are um, able to adapt quickly to findings that they may not expect 
or being able to formulate different hypotheses based on based on a finding that contradicts their own mm-hmm. are the ones that end up doing the best. Yeah. Cuz you have a hypothesis going in and if you're only ta- if your only goal is to prove your own hypothesis, I think you're putting yourself at a disservice because you're only looking at the results and the experiments through a lens that will support your own hypothesis and it's taking the comfortable route. Yeah. Whereas I think it takes a different mindset to be able to embrace whatever the results are going to be. Go in with your own preconceived notions. It's fine. You think that this is how the system works, but then be honest if it doesn't work out the way that you think it's going to work out and adapt to it. Yeah. And then come up with reformulate your hypothesis, re come up with new things, integrate that information into your own understanding. And then you're going to have a completely different outlook. And I think you're going to go leaps and bounds further than if you're just purely stuck in trying to prove your own theory. That's my own personal bias. That's my own personal belief. It's a scientific perspective. It's a scientific perspective. And I think it's also holds true if you want to bring it into jujitsu. <clears throat> if, if that arm bar is not working, then change. Do something change. else. Don't just sit there and rip on it. Mm-hmm. You're not doing yourself a service. You're not doing yourself. Like, you're not, no one's benefiting from this. Let go. Let go. Change it. If your game else. is, if your bottom side control game is not working, well, then fix change it. it. Change. 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 Think if about all the people that, didn't want to learn leg locks because they thought it was stupid and they got left behind because they didn't want to embrace change if you don't want to embrace change that's fine you don't have to but you're going to get left behind if you're fat and you don't want to be fat anymore embrace change embrace the change if you want to be fat fine i think one thing that's fine that do your thing but but if you if you want a change you have to embrace it you have to embrace it. I also would just like to say that when I was younger, like growing up, rough childhood, I moved a lot. There was a lot of change. I got very used to it. In the Marine Corps, nothing is ever set in stone. Everything is constantly dynamic. Everything is constantly moving. Which is interesting. You have to change. Like there's a saying in the Marine Corps, Semper Gumby. It means always flexible. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So Pete, like when, when you're fucked and you're like, oh, we're stepping out at 11 <laughs> and it's... 1330 and you're like we haven't even drawn rifles yet what are we doing somebody's gonna walk past you and be like semper gun be devil dogs or whatever the fuck they're gonna say <laughs> or they're gonna call you killer whatever the fuck they say semper gumby always flexible it's true you should be oh be semper gumby semper gumby oh always flexible that's funny anyways growing up i looked at change as a bad thing like i i always thought like oh change is so scary whatever like i don't know what's going to be on the other side as soon as you switch your mindset from thinking that change is a bad thing and that it's scary and you look at change as an opportunity for growth, the whole world opens up to you and then you can chain together the small opportunities to lead to a great success. But you have to be willing to embrace that change and look at change as a positive. This is true. As long as you think of change as a negative, you're always going to stay negative when there's a change. But if you look at it as an opportunity for growth, you don't know if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. My only caveat that I'll add to that is change on top of a solid foundation. That's my input. I agree. 
you have to build take it for what it's worth whatever your interpretation may be of that which leads perfectly into number nine actually wow hell of a list shortcuts lead to a shaky foundation yeah like i said you're, you're not getting out of bottom mount crushed no grapevine then shoulders disengaged Mm-mm. you're not getting out of that with a shortcut <laughs> you gotta you gotta build the foundation same thing is, is you're not gonna just gonna walk in and be a black belt you're not gonna you're not gonna outwit someone that's been in the scientific field for 20 years no and you're not gonna build a three-story home on you can loose dirt and gravel you can yeah and then it falls yeah and then your house collapses <laughs> and then you're dead and your insurance is gonna be pretty expensive crazy dude side note i was talking to my dad the other day and there was a fucking house that exploded the other day no kidding up there just like 7 p.m just like a gas fire oh i don't know what the cause of it was house wow. just exploded probably was on a solid foundation but regardless i just had to throw that in there uh-huh. crazy don't create a shaky foundation stop taking shortcuts for everything if you take shortcuts on everything it's going to lead to a shaky foundation it's not going to be solid and you're never going to be able to build anything on top of it. And unless you want to build a solid foundation, change is always going to be scary. But if you take the time, put in the effort, build a solid foundation, it's going to pay dividends back. Yeah. And you're going to be able to build on top of that. And you're not going to feel like things are crumbling every time there's some change. Anytime there's you some want wind, the it's not going to knock cookie. you over. Huh? So the only crumble you want is the crumble from your cookie. Mm. Those things are crazy. Yeah. And expensive. I've actually never bought one. I've actually only had them twice. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Have a solid foundation. Don't take shortcuts. Shortcuts will always lead to a shaky foundation. And then I guess number 10. Number 10 is kind of open to interpretation. We can just read it off. Resiliency will get you further than almost everything. While that is kind of true, I believe it to be true. You got to be resilient. Resiliency plays into all of these things. Resiliency in your path. Yes. Not necessarily resilient because it could, that could counteract change because resiliency is kind of inverse of that of change, right? In a way. In a way. But resiliency is in like being able to bounce back. Being able to bounce back. Being able to, I mean, you have to be resilient to continue to create change and accept change. Because it's going to be hard if you're scared of change. So you have to be resilient to keep pushing through that. You have to be resilient to keep showing up. You have to be resilient. To come back to keep... if you're injured. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to be resilient to do all of those things. Yeah. And like it's very easy to find are... an excuse to stop, especially with, I noticed with fitness, with diet, with fitness, with everything like that. Like it's very easy to get derailed and then just completely stop. Yeah. It'd be like, I ate bad this week or I hurt my wrist or I hurt my shoulder or I hurt my knee or something's tweaked. So I'm just going to stop. Yeah. And it's very hard to get back on that train once you become comfortable stopping. And so like you have to be able to push through if your shoulder hurts, then do something with your legs. If your legs hurt, do something with your shoulders. If you're or with your arms or something like that, there's always barring extreme situations. There's usually something that you can figure out to do. If, your ultimate goal is to to be a better 
to be or not better to be but be a fit person or something like that. Same yeah. thing with your science. If your experiments don't work, then try something different. Figure yeah. it out. There's always different approaches. You may have not thought of them yet, but there's always gonna be something. There's always gonna be something. If you get tapped, available. it's not the end of the world. You've learned something. Get you back on the horse. Opportunities. Yeah, you've learned something. You've you figured out where you should not be. Take a mental snapshot of how your body felt in that position and make sure you, if you're getting close to that again, that you get out of it. You know? That's the truth. The exact definition of it is of a person or animal able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. You looked that up, didn't you? I did look that up. <laughs> I just Googled it. I thought you just pulled that out. <laughs> no, it's the beauty of having a cell phone. Uh, yeah. You can look these things up. That's fair. Um, being resilient and being able to withstand those difficult conditions and understand that you'll come out the other side better for it, for being resilient. Obviously, there's sometimes when you can be too resilient. If you hate your job, you're underpaid, you're overworked, you're treated like shit, being resilient is not going to get you anywhere. But embracing change will get you somewhere. Hmm. So you need to figure out the balance between being resilient and being willing to embrace change. But when you decide, hey, this job fucking sucks, I have 50 grand saved up, I can take six months off and find a new job. Yeah. Be willing to embrace that change, but also be resilient enough to stay on that path. Yeah. And withstand those difficult conditions of looking for a new job. This is going to sound dumb, but one of the, I don't think you've ever given me that warning before, before saying something. I think I've said it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I noticed and is actually quite motivating is when I watch Rue at the dog park. When I watch my dog at the dog park, my dog is a very social dog. Mm-hmm. He loves people. He loves animals. He loves everything. He will try to get birds to land on his snout. Like he just, he's not, he's a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> but every time that you go to the, he goes to the dog park, he gets so excited and he just runs up and he tries to make as many friends as he can. And sometimes the dogs are mean and they like snap at him and they're, you know, whatever. They snap at him, they run away or something. Typical dog park stuff. Typical dog park stuff. And then there'll be times where like he'll run into a group. He tries to make a bunch of friends. They all growl, run away. And then he's just standing there all by himself. And your literal heart just is like, whoa, buddy. Yeah, poor guy. Like he just is literally trying to make a friend. And he gets rejected because you know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. But then he goes over to the next group and it happens again. And then he like, you know, he looks sad. He looks around. But then he just like picks it up, gets back on the horse and goes over. And then eventually he finds, you know, out of all the dogs, he finds like one or two that are really playful. Mm -hmm. And he has a grand old time. But it took 35 rejections before he found that one or two dogs that were willing to do you know really put playful wrestling type of stuff and he has the best time possible yeah. ever but if he wasn't if he if he just took that first rejection and then just left he, he would say the dog park sucks yeah he would say this is miserable i hate it here i don't like going i'm never going to go there again but if but he was resilient enough to just push through all and it's a lot of rejection yeah and then he leaves and he goes this is the best place ever Mm-hmm. loved it loved it every time you get close time. he just starts crying with happiness you know like whimpering and stuff like trying to get out of the car yeah and it's like there's a lot to be learned there that is a resilient dog there's something to be learned there that's also a good thing though is that like uh he's embracing the change that like okay this didn't work but what can i do next 
embraces a change to go to another one and then he's resilient enough to just yeah. keep trying yeah lessons learned from a labradoodle lessons learned from a labradoodle <laughs> there's a lot of lessons to be learned from her i think that's how it goes all right 10 lessons done done got him in the books look at that hour 20 hour 20 not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. There was uh, some long-winded answers. I was doing the math, and I more. thought, ooh, if we do 10, even if it's a six minutes each, that's already an hour. Yeah. But No, this is perfect. Yeah. Right? Pumped it out. All right. RSS.com slash no network. Apple. Spotify. Google. Bunch of other places. You Comment. Like. Subscribe. That's it. Okay, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Or for you guys, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Have a great week. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.